As Dave said, my name is Andy, and I'm the Connections Pastor here, and um, I, I get to bring uh, the next part of our, thir- you know, the third part of our series entitled Here. We've been talking about listening to God, listening to his voice, and we're going to get into that in just a moment, but I, I did want to say one thing. I know Dave has talked a lot about the volunteers and things, but I just, over these past couple months, I've been spending a lot of time hanging out with the Connect Kids um, in, the, in the foyer, and I've been having a great time. In fact, when Dave asked me if I wanted to come over here today and, uh, and, and, and speak, I was kind of like, well, I might miss out on something really fun over there, you know? I'm not so sure I want to be with the, the adults, you know, because we had a food fight last week, and that was pretty epic, you know what I mean? So um, I didn't want to miss it, but we're having a lot of fun. We've got great kids over there. The, the kids uh, love Jesus. They're well-behaved. Uh, parents, you're doing a great job with them, and and we want to be a partner with you here at Connect Church to come alongside you and, and show them who Jesus is and let them learn to make those good choices and things like that. And so there's a lot of good stuff going on. But one of the things that I've become most aware of in the past few months since I've been over there more is the quality of volunteers, the quality of leaders that we have that help out over there every single Sunday. Now, not, nobody helps out every Sunday, but people rotate in and rotate out. But every week, we've got quality volunteers that come in, teenagers, middle school, high school. We've got awesome adults, some college students. We've got a great team that makes Connect Kids happen. And I'm just so thankful for that. And so I, I don't know, I know there's some people helping out, you know, in We've got our preschool uh, Connect Kids. We've got our, our, our kindergarten through fifth grade Connect Kids. And we've also got Connect Youth. If any of our volunteers are here today in this service and you serve in any of those three areas, would you please just stand for a moment so we can acknowledge you? Anyone at all? Do we have some of them right down here in the front row? Let's get you guys standing up. Uh, anyone else? Hey, guys, I mean, for real, for real, this church is blessed with great people who invest and make these things happen. So we're so thankful. Um, and, and I want to encourage you guys, as you're going out today, if you've got a kid to check out of the, the Connect Kids environments, especially do this. But even if you don't, would you go out of your way to find one of the people in the dark blue Connect Kids t-shirts and high five them or shake their hand and just say, thank you so much for what you're doing for our kids and making this church a great place for them to know Jesus. Uh, that, that would be awesome because they, they really do deserve it. So today, we're continuing the series that Dave started a couple weeks ago entitled Here. And as we, we talk about hearing from God, the whole idea is that we are listening to God's voice. And I want to say, you know, maybe, I don't know where you come from. I, I know a lot of people in this room. I don't know everyone personally. I don't know your background. I don't know your story. There's things that I don't know about you. So I'm saying this in a very general way. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. When we talk about hearing from God, I, I think it needs to be said that most of the people in this room who would say that, that God speaks to them, most of them would say that they have never, like myself included, I have never heard God's voice in an audible way where I heard some voice that was outside and, and, and it resonated in my ears and I was able to figure out what was being said. I have never heard that. So when I talk, now I'm not saying God doesn't do that or God can't do that. I mean, let's be honest. He's God. I'm not. I'm not in any position to handcuff him and tell him what he's allowed to do. But when God speaks, in most cases, in our present day, the way he does it is not so much through that audible voice, but more through what I would call impressions. 
where God speaks to me and, and impresses something inside of me and what, my, what I would call my spirit, my, the inner self, the, the part of me that is connected to God. And that part of me is the part that, that God speaks to. And, 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 I, and I feel these impressions. And there's a lot of ways that he does that. We'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Dave, over the past few weeks, talked about how God speaks to us through the Bible, and over the past few weeks, he's been laying out this, this idea, which is so important for us to understand, that the Bible is the foundation for God's voice. When he speaks to you, it, it, what he says in your impressions, or if he ever speaks to you audibly, he will never contradict what he has already said in his written word, the Bible. <clears throat> and so over the, the course of this, this day, we're gonna kind of go another step beyond this. Instead of uh, looking simply at how God speaks to us at, through our time in the Bible, I wanna, I wanna talk about how God speaks to us throughout our day, when we're going about our day. So we're gonna get into that in just a moment. And let me just say this before we go any further. We believe here at Connect that God is actively speaking to everyone who is a child of God. To everyone who is a follower of Jesus, that'd be another way of saying a child of God, a follower of Jesus, a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, the, question, the wrong question to ask yourself is, is God speaking to me? Because we believe, and we can back this up with what God says in the Bible, that he is speaking to you if you're a follower of Jesus. So that's the wrong question, but the right question is this, am I listening Am I listening to what he's saying? Because God is speaking, so am I putting myself in a position where I can hear from him and where I can listen and recognize his voice? So this morning, that's kind of the direction we're going. Let's just take a moment and let's just ask God to speak to us through this message today. Can we do that? Father, thank you so much that in your love, you do actively speak to us. You are involved and engaged in our lives on a daily basis. Lord, this isn't a thing where we come to church and that's the extent of our connection with you and then that's supposed to fill us up so that for the next week and then we come back a week later or a couple weeks later. God, you want to speak to us daily and Lord, I pray that you use this time to speak into our hearts and let us become more uh, aware of the fact that you're speaking and more able to recognize your voice when you do speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So growing up, I never was what you might call the teacher's pet. Do we have any teacher's pets in here? Like you just, maybe when you were coming up in school or maybe in the office at work today, you know that everyone knows that you're the boss's favorite, you're the teacher's favorite. Do we have anyone who's brave enough to admit that? I promise you, we're not gonna throw stuff at you. And okay, we got a couple. We got some people who are, I, I, I was never that kid. I was never the kid who was the most highly favored person in my classroom. But you know what I was really good at? At that age, I was never the teacher's pet, but I was really good at identifying who the teacher's pet was and using that to my advantage. That's what I was good at. I was the kid who I would walk in on the first day of school and I would see how things, you know, the dynamics and everything, and I would see, oh, the teacher really, you know, responds differently to that kid over there. So from now on, if I want something, I gotta go through that person. That's kind of how I started thinking. And let me give you an example of this. When I was um, a little guy, I went to a, a central elementary school in Alliance, Nebraska, and we had this 
old, grumpy PE teacher there named Mr. Hubbard. Now, Mr. Hubbard smelled like an ashtray, and he must have been 100 years old, and he was not the nicest guy. He was a grumpy, grumpy, typical, you know, he should have been in the movie, you know, that kind of guy. And Mr. Hubbard, um, from the time I was in that, that, you know, that school, I could tell he didn't like me. He didn't, the weird thing is, he didn't like any of the boys, okay? Mr. Hubbard liked a few girls, and that was it, okay? Super creepy, I know, right? Uh, but he disliked a couple of the girls. He was nice to them. He would kind of, you know, let them do things that he wouldn't let the rest of us do. And I picked up on this early on. And so Mr. Hubbard, even though he smoked like a chimney and all of this, you know, he was, he was one of these guys who was all about, um, you know, like uh, running and conditioning and things like that. Even though I'm sure he couldn't have run a mile. He wanted us to run a mile every day, it felt like. And Mr. Mr. Hubbard, you know, he, so he would often send us out. And the school that I went to, it was, it was a, you know, a city block or whatever, kind of in the middle of town. And there was a real <clears throat> narrow uh, sidewalk that went around the perimeter of the school, all right? And supposedly, if you went around it one time, that was about 400 meters. And so it was like four times around, similar to a track would be a, a, about a mile. But the weird thing was, you know, this is a, a, a skinny concrete sidewalk, and there's a playground next to it with gravel playground, right? And so just about all of the corners, whenever you get to the end of a corner, you have to do a right angle turn to take, take off down the next leg. And there was all this gravel and dust that had gotten down on the sidewalk from kids playing at recess. And so you can imagine what that's like. If you've ever had to run and then turn sharply on gravel, you know that it's a losing proposition, right? It just doesn't work well for anyone. And so we would often, we would get to the end, and if you're going too fast, slip, your feet slip out from under you, and next thing you know, you got skin knees, and you got a bump on your back, and all this sort of thing. So we hated running the mile in particular, but it was even worse doing it in this, in this environment. So Mr. Hubbard comes in this one day, and he says, all right, class, uh, Melissa, get the kids stretched out, and then, uh, and then you know, get them out. We're going to run a mile, so run four laps. And <clears throat> we were like, oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. And then he disappeared to his office. He would often disappear while we were stretching. Probably, we, we presume he was smoking a pack of cigarettes back in his office because that's what he always came out smelling like that. But he would disappear. And so I realized, man, everyone felt the same way as me. I don't want to run another mile. It felt like we just ran one yesterday or the day before, and come on, let's play some kickball. You know, we're supposed to have some fun once in a while in this class. And so I went to, I, during stretching, I, I moved, maneuvered myself up by Melissa. And I'm like, hey, he likes you. You ask him. You tell him your stomach is a little bit hurt. You know, you're just not feeling so well. And let's see if we can play kickball. Because kickball rocks, you know. Kickball's awesome. And so we were like, oh. And so she, at first she was a little hesitant. She's like, yeah, I don't know if that's such a good idea. And I was like, no, it's a great idea. Do it. And everyone around us was picking up what was going on. Yeah, do it, do it. So next, he comes out after we're stretching, and she goes up to him, Mr. H, my, my stomach's just not so good. Um, you care if we, maybe we could play some kickball instead and maybe run a different time? And he's like, no problem. You know, and so the next thing we know, we were out on the playground playing kickball. Now, what's the point of this long-winded story? This, the point is very simple. It's that I knew that I was not the person who was highly favored by the person who mattered, okay? There was a person in authority, there was a person making decisions, and that person liked one or two people in that room, and he didn't like me. So what I said didn't really matter. And so I figured out that if I went to the person who was favored, I could get what I want through that person. Now, 
What does this have to do with hearing from God? Hebrews chapter 1, in the, the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's writing this letter. Let me give you a little context. He writes this letter to Jewish Christians. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has rose, risen in, in, uh, from the dead. He's gone to heaven. And now we're in the day of the, the, the establishing of the church. And so Jesus, uh, you know, he's, he's in heaven, and, and he's left his disciples and his apostles to, uh, to, to create the church and to establish it on earth. And so the writer of Hebrews starts off this letter to Jewish Christians, and he says this. He says, long ago, God spoke many times in many, and in many ways to our ancestors, get this, through the prophets. In the Old Testament days, God spoke frequently to the people that followed him, but he almost always did this through a channel, and that channel was prophets or priests, these men and women who filled an office and became this middleman, this bridge between God on one side and humanity on the other side. And so this became the way that God, last week, if you weren't here with us, I encourage you, get online, go to connectwashington.org or go through our app, listen to the message Dave shared last week. It was very insightful, very good, very practical on kind of the makeup and the layout of the Bible. And one of the things he talked about in the Bible is that it's made up of two general parts. Some of you know this, but I'm going to go ahead and say this in case anyone doesn't. There are two general parts. There's a part called the Old Testament and a part called the New Testament. Old Testament was everything from creation up to a few hundred years before Jesus came. And then there's like a dark age where there's no interaction between God and people that we can tell. Um, you know, maybe there was, but there's no written account of it in the Bible. And then, and then Jesus comes, and that begins the New Testament, and that carries on through his life and the establishing of the church. And then there's a book at the end that talks about the last days. And so the Bible is made up of these two parts, Old Testament, which is the old way of relating to God, and then the New Testament, which is the new way of relating to God. Testament is essentially a contract, an agreement between two parties. And so, and so in the Old Testament, God always sent a person or people that would work in tandem and they would be together, the voice of God to the people and the voice of people to God. These prophets, these middlemen, they were the bridge. So the communication went both ways, but it always went through the prophets. And it never went directly from the people to God. It stopped at the prophet, and then the prophet relayed the message up, and then vice versa, when God would have a word for the people. It always went through the prophet. <clears throat> so in the Old Testament... God sends people like Samuel and Samson and uh, Joshua and Obadiah and Deborah and, uh, you know, um, Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of these men and women who would fill this role of being the mediator between the two parties. And there was one of these prophets in particular, and this is kind of, his role was very significant because he was the first of the prophets, his, a man named Moses. Moses, you probably know some about him. Moses was a, uh, an, an Old Testament figure who was incredibly significant for a lot of reasons. Let me give you a little context. The people of Israel, Israel was a man who had 12 sons. Each of his sons had families. So you can see that this, this began the people of Israel. The Jews came out of this family, okay? So Israel and his 12 sons lived in a land where it was their home. They had all their stuff there, all their possessions. It was, their, it was what they knew 
And, and a time came when famine wiped out every food source out of their homeland, and it forced them to go somewhere where there was food aplenty, which was the land of Egypt. And Egypt was the place where God opened the door for them to go for a season for provision so that their needs would be met in Egypt. So the people of Israel moved to Egypt. They, they, they settled there. And for several generations, they just kind of get comfortable in Egypt. The Bible tells us that they grew and grew and grew. They became stronger. They became more populous. They became more influential. They became wealthier. And all of these things were good, and the people of Egypt were getting nervous, thinking, oh, great. These outsiders are going to become too powerful for us. We've got to do something. And so what do they do? They force upon them slavery. They turn them into slaves and say, you've got to work, and you're going to work hard, and you're going to build these these buildings for us, and it's going to hurt, and that's the only way that you continue to stay here. So the people of Israel become slaves. It is hard. It is oppressive. And for a few generations, they, they suffer through this until finally they call out to God for help. They say, God, we can't bear this anymore. Send us help. We need a deliverer. We need... So God sends Moses. Moses is a prophet. He's the deliverer. He's a man. But he is the mediator between the people and God. And if you've, if you've read the biblical account in Exodus, the beginning of the book of Exodus, um, you know some of this. And then if you've seen you know, Charlton Heston's uh, Ten Commandments was a good account of this, and then there was a, you know, the cartoon version of, I don't know what it was called, the King of Egypt or something like that, King, know, Prince of Egypt, I think, something like that. You know, there, there's a lot of pop culture remakes of this entire story. So some of you may be familiar with it. It's basically this. When Moses comes onto the scene, he says, let the people of Israel have to go. They do this whole thing. There's these, this dramatic exit out of slavery. There's these 10 plagues that come on the people of, of Egypt, uh, forces the hand of the Egyptian ruler, Pharaoh, and he says, get out of here, go. And so they go, and then the, the parting of the Red Sea, and there's all these things that are happening in the context of their exodus, their, their departure from slavery. And so they get out to the wilderness, and something remarkable continues to happen. I mean, there's already been a lot of things that have been happening but God pulls the people of Israel out to a plain, a land called Sinai. It's like in, out in the desert, and he has them kind of set up camp there. And he says to Moses, he says, Moses, you leave the people down here on the mountain, and I want you to come up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, with me. I want to speak to you up there. And so Moses says, you people stay here. I got to go up there. And so he goes up on the mountain, he, he gets up there, and there's this, this intense display of God's presence while he's up there on the mountain. The picture here is a scene from Charlton Heston's, uh, you know, Ten Commandments. It kind of gives you a vision of what this might have looked like according to, you know, 1960s special effects and things like that. But the idea was Moses gets on, on the mountain and this cloud, this dark cloud descends on the top of the mountain, all right? In the middle of the cloud, it's described that the people see fire in the middle of the cloud, like, like the, the illumination of fire. They see lightning crashing down. They hear thunder around this part. There's this long, loud blast from heaven. It sounds like a trumpet or a ram's horn where they, they can hear something is happening that's coming from up there. At one point, the whole earth shakes, and there's this violent earthquake that just shakes everyone. And, and so these people are, are down here on the ground, and they're looking up on the mountain. They see that God is up on the mountain with their prophet. And they, God is doing this for their benefit. 
Because when Moses comes down, what he's getting up there is the Ten Commandments, which is the first ten rules that would govern their relationship with God. It turns out that there were going to be hundreds of rules that, that they would have to follow in order to maintain this relationship. But up on the mountain, right in there in this moment, God is giving the first ten rules to these people through their prophet. And so when Moses comes down, he reads to the people all of the rules. He says, here are the Ten Commandments God has given me. And the people can't sit there and say, uh-uh, Moses, you're just making this up. You know, you, there's no way God spoke. You're telling me God spoke to you? The, the reality is they saw that God spoke. They experienced it with their eyes. They could see it. They could hear it. They could feel the rumble. You know, they, they were sensing. Maybe they could smell the smoke. With, all the, with their senses, they are seeing that God is present with Moses in this place. So he comes down, and this is what happens. In, in chapter 19, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19, Moses has read to them what the Ten Commandments are, and this is the people's response. They say, Moses, you let us know what God says, okay? You tell us what he says, and we will listen, but please don't let him speak directly to us. Please don't let him speak directly to us. If he does, we are dead. Now keep in mind what these people had experienced, the 10 plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, this display up on Mount Sinai. They know that this God is real, that he is serious, to be taken seriously. They know that he is holy. They know he is powerful. They know he's awesome. And so they are saying to Moses, you just go and you talk to him and you come back and you tell me what he says, but I, I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to be waiting over here. In fact, verse 21, two verses later says this, as the people stood in the distance, Moses proceeded. He entered into the darkness. He entered into the place where God was. Okay. And, and this is an interesting thing because the people are like, you know what? We're good. We're, we're just going to stay back here. You know, you have yourself a time, Moses, all right? You go for it. You know, if you want to go back into that, oh, man, I don't even know. I don't even know what to, you know, and so they, they were keeping their distance, and Moses is all about pressing in to find out what people, what God is saying to his people. So the people are terrified, and it creates this distance. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have a friend or a family member who is particularly judgy, Okay. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to. Some of you may want to raise. Okay, so, so we, we all, probably all of us, if we really sat and thought about it, we all have a friend or a family member who we kind of think, man, every time I'm around them, it just feels like they're sizing me up and there's something, you know, I'm, I'm just not measuring up to what they expect. Now, let me ask you this. Do you long to hang out with that person? Just, you're just like, man, I can't wait to be around that person because she is so judgy and I just, I, I want to feel like I don't measure up. That is awesome. Does anyone feel that way? No, right? We don't want to be around those people. We want to run and keep our distance from them. We want separation. So there's two things going on here. The people of Israel know that God is powerful and they also know that they are being judged and they can't live up to these, even these first 10 commandments, let alone the 600 more that are about to come. And so they withdraw. And so the result is that the people of Israel know the standards, but they stay away. 
Let me just say something as a little bit of an aside, and I want you to hear my heart in this. I'm not calling out anybody in particular, but listen, there are Christian denominations, there are Christian groups who encourage, I would actually say it's more than encourage. They kind of make you feel like this is the only way you can hear from God is by going through a holy man. Maybe it's a priest, maybe it's an evangelist, maybe it's a man or woman of God, a pastor or something, and you just... They, they set it up so that you feel like the only way I can hear from God is based on what pastor so-and-so says, evangelist so-and-so says, father so-and-so, right? And I'm telling you right now that if you have that mindset, that is an Old Testament way of relating to God. And I'm gonna show you here in the next few minutes how obsolete that way, all right, that way is. So let me just continue on. We're kind of... Running out of time, I want to I press in just a little bit here. So the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on and he talks about Jesus. He says that Jesus, you know, we, we talked about how, um, you know, there were these prophets and these priests and they were the, the mediators. Jesus is, the Bible says in Hebrews, he's like the ultimate mediator. You know, he's the one who uh, does what no other mediator has ever been able to do before. It says he is the great high priest. Let me just explain to you for a moment, because you see, the problem that kept the people separate was this problem of sin, right? Sin is very simply the inability to keep God's standards perfectly. It's the inability to keep God's standards perfectly. So God says, do these things perfectly, and the people say, yeah, right, you know, I'll try, but, you know, good luck me, you know, it's not, you know, and, 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 and so there was this problem. The inability to live up to God's standards had always existed. And so in the Old Testament, there was this, this, this solution. It was a temporary solution, but it was at least a solution to help the people live in relationship with God, even though it wasn't going to work perfectly, permanently. And that was the system of sacrifices. The sacrifices were this, were, were, the, were these. Um, I am an ancient Jew. I sin against God. I break one of the commands. And what do I do? I, I go to the priest. He tells me, well... Here's what you need to do. You need to offer up this kind of sacrifice. It's a payment of some kind. So, you know, it's a, it's a dove or it's a sheep or it's a, uh, you know, some kind of animal. Um, and I, either I raise that animal or I have to purchase that animal. But, but what's done is I bring that back to the priest. The priest slaughters it. I know this is a little gruesome, but please understand, this is the way the world worked. And there is reason for this. The, the animal was slaughtered. The sacrifice, the blood was spilled out. And now I... My sin is covered up by the blood of this animal, okay? It's covered up. It's not gone, because everyone knows I'm going to go out and I'm going to mess up again, but it's, it's covered up. So for right now, I'm in good standing with God. My chest is puffed out. You know, I feel good about myself, but I know that in a few minutes or in a few days or in a few hours, whatever it is, I, I'm going to mess up again. So you know what would happen every time I, I brought the sacrifice, it's slaughtered, the blood spilled out, and I'm in good standing with God. I go out, and what happens when I sin again? What happens? I have to bring another sacrifice, right? That sacrifice only covered my sin up to that moment. Now I have to bring another sacrifice to deal with. And so there was this, this cycle. People were constantly reminded, man, I have screwed up. Man, uh, God must, you know, I have to bring this sacrifice so that I can. So this was a temporary solution. But when Jesus came, some, Jesus came 
And the Bible tells us that he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was, he, the writer of Hebrews says, he was crucified once for all time. You know what that means? Now, instead of bringing a goat or a ram or a dove or some wheat, you know, and having that be my sacrifice, you know what my sacrifice is? It's Jesus. And when I go to God and I say, Jesus is my sacrifice, guess what? There's not another sacrifice that needs to happen. I don't need to bring any other kind of sacrifice to God in the way of like nothing has to, no blood has to be shed. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And so what this does is is it makes everything about the sacrificial system before him obsolete. Completely obsolete. They don't matter anymore. They are irrelevant. And along with that, the mediators, the requirement of a mediator, the middleman who, who gives me access to God is now an obsolete role. So what does all this have to do with hearing from God? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, I think that there are three primary reasons why we may not hear from God. And I think they're things that we've kind of covered. Let me summarize here. Number one, we just don't know his word. We just don't know his word. We don't know the Bible. Dave did a great job. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. He did a great job over the past few weeks talking about this. God's word establishes how we relate to him. It's his eternal word. And so what we do now, you know, if you were to come up to me and you were to say after service, hey, Andy, I appreciate what you said. God is actively speaking. Listen, I'm a child of God. I'm trying to hear from him. and I'm just not hearing anything. What's wrong? You know what my first question would be for you? I'd say, so how's your, uh, how's your Bible time coming? You know, your Bible study, how's that going? And I've, I've done this before, and almost every time, you know, the people kind of hem and haw, and at the end of the, the, the fakeness of it, <laughs> the answer is, uh, yeah, I don't really read the Bible. Yeah, I don't really have time for that. I'm telling you, that's the foundation. If you're not reading God's eternal word, don't expect him, don't expect to have that good relationship where you're speaking with God and he speaks back to you and he impresses things on your heart because God, that is the foundation of God's word, of how he speaks. So that's problem number one. Barrier number two is this. We don't know we have access to him. Like maybe in, our, in your head you know it, but somehow in your heart you still think you need a mediator. You still think you need somebody holier than you to tell you what God says. You need a priest. You need a pastor. You need an evangelist. You need somebody who knows more than you to tell you what God says. Now, let me back up just a minute because I am in no way saying that the role of priest, pastor, uh, small group leader, you know, uh, mentor, I'm not saying that those roles aren't important and that God won't use them to speak into your life. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that you don't need a person between you and God. You just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. He is your access to God. And myself as a pastor, Dave as your lead pastor, um, you know, your small group leader, uh, people in your small group, guess what? God is gonna speak to you through those people, but you don't need a person standing between you and God anymore because the person who stands between you now is Jesus. 
The person who stands between you is Jesus. I'll get to that a little bit more in just a moment. And then point number three, the barriers, is that we are ashamed of our sin and therefore we keep our distance. We are ashamed of our sin and therefore we keep our distance. Let me just talk to you briefly about this idea. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says, again, he was the once and for all time sacrifice. What does that mean? No other sacrifice needs to be offered for your sin. As long, if, if I go out from here today and I sin, I do something against God's standards, guess what? My responsibility is not to bring a new sacrifice, but to point to the sacrifice that has already happened. Said, my forgiveness is in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's where my confidence lies. That's how I handle it. I don't carry the burden and say, oh, woe is me, like the people of Israel must have done. Oh, man, I just... You know, I just brought that goat. That goat cost me a lot of money, and I just brought that goat, and I, you know, he's dead now, and now I sinned again, so what am I gonna do, you know? It's like, ah, and it's burdensome, and it's like, I feel that guilt, because I just, the sin problem is always there. The Old Testament, sin, the sacrifice just covered the sin, but the sin was still there, you know? But now what Jesus has done is he wipes the sin away. And, and, and the sacrifice is all that matters, you know? The sacrifice of Jesus. So, those are the three barriers. In Hebrews chapter one, we, we started here a little bit ago. The writer said in verse one, he said, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, verse two, and now, in these final days, this present day, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. He has spoken to us through his son. So listen. Once again, as it relates to hearing from God, you don't need somebody to stand between you and God. You just need Jesus. And as long as you are consistently just spending time studying the word, letting his word change the way you think, which is what it's supposed to do, change your mind about situations, as long as you do that, as long as you look to Jesus to be your mediator, your access to God, God will speak to you regularly and it's your job to just listen and do what he says and then thank him for it, all right? Let's just, so let me, let me just, as I close here, let me just give you one point to, to take home with you. When I'm hearing from God the best, this is how it starts. I wake up in the morning and I start myself off by saying, Lord, I know you're speaking, help me listen. Tune my ears in to hear from you. And Lord, thank you that Jesus is my access. Jesus is my perfect sacrifice. He gives me direct access to God. And when I do that, I just feel like the Lord is present with me and he speaks to me throughout the day. And that's where he wants to be with all of you. This isn't for a pastor. This isn't for somebody who's super spiritual. This is for every follower of Jesus pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are actively speaking. Thank you that your word is um, alive and it shapes the way we think and it changes us from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, that you want us to hear you speak because you love us and you want to have that kind of intimate relationship. Tune our ears to hear from you and make us completely aware that you are um, speaking every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.